0: Hey, everybody, it's another episode of Irish Mike's podcast. I am Irish Mike, and I'm excited you are here. Reminder that each of these episodes is brought to you by our little store, Blacksmith Trading Company. In our store, you can find our handmade small batch bitters, men's grooming items, and our newest additions, whiskey and tobacco scented candles. Find out more information at blacksmithtradingco.com, or of course, the home site, IrishMikeSmith.com. My guest today is Dave DeVries, missional and pastoral coach and winemaker. We will discuss briefly his unique career and we find out about DeVries Estates, his family wine label. We'll take a layman's journey through wine, specifically in Washington State, and how he and his wife got into winemaking and a little bit about several of their wines. Join us as we talk DeVries Estates award-winning wine. Dave DeVries, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm so excited to finally be able to do this with you. Um, We've talked about um, your career and um, your, I guess we'll find out in throughout this conversation, whether this is a hobby or a passion or a side business or, or what about winemaking. But before we get into all that, um, tell me about what it is that you do for a living. Um, you told me bits and pieces, a pastor, missional coach, question mark. What, tell me <laughs> what that means.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, when I first got married, my wife and I, uh, and our six-month-old son Dougie uh, started a church in Southern California. And I was just naive enough to think at 25 that I could start a church, but I really didn't know what I was doing. And I was so blessed because the denomination that I was a part of assigned me a coach. And I, I was like, I, I, I don't know, what, what is a coach gonna do? And I'll tell you, it was it was the best gift to me as a young, uh, naive church planter because uh, Steve came alongside me and helped me navigate the challenges of getting started. And he listened and he asked very strategic questions, helped me design action steps to move forward. And pretty soon what I found myself doing was mimicking what Steve did with me with other leaders in our church and after about um, 15 years of pastoring in that church i came to realize that you know what i think i love coaching more than i love pastoring and so i took the step to leave our church and uh, handed that off and stepped into a new role and began to develop my skills as a coach i took several trainings and uh was mentored and and i mean the whole pathway i can tell you how you know how that developed but uh we moved up here to uh seattle area here in bellevue now that we live and i started coaching other leaders and help them navigate the challenges of getting started just like steve did with me and so i really focus in on working with uh, a lot of pastors nonprofit leaders, leaders uh, entrepreneurs who are starting churches uh, or, um, yeah. So uh, anybody in my world that I'd say is, is, uh, is engaging somehow in God's mission in this world.
0: I love that phrase because I'd never heard it until I met you as entrepreneurs who are starting churches. Is that what we call church plants now?
1: Well, that's what that's that (laughs) tends to be what I call them, because a lot of times people go, I I don't get what you're saying when I say church planter uh, or someone who's planting a church. So, yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense.
0: So in in my experience, in my sort of evangelical uh, stretch of my life, which probably was, I don't know probably at least 20 years worth of my life um the phrase that we always heard was there was like i was a the churches that i was a part of were a part of this larger organization and it was kind of this quote you know apostolic thing and so they would call the 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 head family the head guy i don't want to talk like it's the mafia or anything but um was this apostle and he mm-hmm. uh, typically would mentor these churches and they would have conferences where you'd fly in or drive in or whatever and you'd get a three-day you know input from these uh pastors and leaders that are usually at the time bigger maybe they've got other uh you know all kinds of successful ministries within their church and things like that is is does it kind of come out of that or is it totally different
1: yeah so i would say for me i work with multiple networks and denominations and ministries and churches so um, i would come alongside maybe a group like you were a part of and focus in on how can i uh, help you accelerate your church planting efforts or your um, new starts if you will and maybe that's moving into a new area maybe that's um, moving into reaching a different type of, of people group or, or target um, in terms of seeing the, the message of the gospel spread. And so um, I would typically work with uh, a church that was preparing to start a daughter church. So I might come alongside them and help them in that process. But I think my, my niche or my specialty would be uh, certainly for the last uh, 15 years, um, working specifically with that church planter as he and, and his wife most likely are building a team and, and beginning to say, how do, we, how do we get this off the ground? Yeah.
0: You know, that's awesome. I think that there's a huge need for it. And I feel like we could go on and on about this, but I do want to ask you one more thing about that. Uh, Coming alongside coaching, mentoring, I imagine that you're part, um, you know, counselor, uh, you know, guidance, you know, all that. But now in the last couple of years where there's been a lot of social justice conversations uh, uh, around the church, uh, churches are asking questions that maybe they've not asked before or at least in a long time. Uh, Maybe there's been some internal soul searching as a church or as a denomination. Um, I, I imagine those questions come up in your coaching as well.
1: Oh, absolutely, and I, I, I love the fact that there actually is a growing awareness of of bias, a growing awareness of of um, certain aspects, and it, it's a risky word sometimes to use. But privilege has a whole lot of different meanings, and I think, um, I think churches and pastors are coming to realize that um, we have uh, among you know uh, white. Evangelical Christians, certain biases that they have um, have bought into, maybe even you know, kind of like a fish swimming in the water, unaware of the water around me. And so, um, within the culture, in the last last couple years, there's there's much more desire to say we need to be about justice, and we need to uh, leverage whatever influence that that we've been given uh, for the benefit of the, the powerless in a sense. And um, I've had conversations even just a couple weeks ago in Texas with uh, a group of pastors who I think were, were um, challenged by my exhortation to them to, in a sense, steward the color of your skin. And they had never considered that before as if that was something that they could use for the benefit of others. And uh, so we, this could be a whole nother conversation at some time. We're going to have to pick it up again, um,
0: uh, because that is, uh, that is interesting. um, And it's, it's really, really important. mm -hmm. Uh, You know, the white privileged Anglo, whatever we call it, evangelical, but Mm -hmm. it probably doesn't even have to be into that vein. Um, I know I grew up Catholic as a kid, and, you know, there's certainly some challenges, uh, you know, in Mm -hmm. that church. And, Um, and, uh, look at the end of the day, I think what you're doing is needed. I wish more pastors and leaders had more people that came alongside of them and they weren't just Mm -hmm. given a thousand bucks and a, and a spot to, to, to go start a church, but they have somebody come alongside them and, and, and really stuff that you, they couldn't have foreseen even with their super awesome hearts. And they're just passionate about reaching a community or something like that. Uh, but they just need, you know, some of the, uh, I'm imagining tactical, you know, Mm -hmm. conversations. So, well, I know we wanted to talk about wine, but I had to get that uh, going because um, I think it's important. Um, But now you have, you and your wife, I believe, tell us, you know, let's get started with um, you and Deanne DeVries, one of my favorite people in the world, started DeVries Estates. Is that right? That's correct. Now Tell me the kind of, have you always been a wine person?
1: (laughs) Actually, no. In fact, um, I grew up in a family that, wine drinking was not normal and wait, uh, hold on. Was it, was it not normal or was it frowned upon? Maybe, maybe even frowned upon. Yeah. I might've had some family members in that. Some influence there. Yeah. (laughs) But you know, it's, it's interesting. It wasn't like, Oh, people who would drink wine or beer or alcohol are, you know, I don't know, sinners. Um, but rather just, well, we, you know, we don't do that. And, uh, And really I I think I would have to um, attribute my introduction into wine to my brother-in-law, my wife's brother Dale, who uh, was living in France and he and his wife and their kids had been, uh, he's an international businessman and had landed in Paris and he came uh, to a family reunion and brought wine and said, We're going to do a blind test. And he had us sample all these different wines. And I was like, Oh, I think I like this.
0: <laughs> and you're so, an adult at this point, right? Oh, yes, brother, yes, like, you're, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So it was, I was definitely in my 30s. And, uh, but, you know, began to, to explore, you know, different uh, tastes of wine uh, and, and growing up and living and and as a married couple in California, um, really began to explore, you know, some of the um, uh, Central Coast wines, which weren't too far away to to get up to that area. And then eventually uh, had an anniversary trip that we went up to Napa and Sonoma. And again, just got the opportunity to sample a wide variety of wines and discovering what our palates enjoyed.
0: Yeah. So fast forward a few years and we'll go back in a in a a second. But how long ago did you specifically start the uh, DeVries Estates uh, brand? Is it label or? Yeah, sure. Is that, Uh, you know?
1: Yeah, we um, so interestingly enough, um, we didn't just wake up one day and say, Hey, let's become winemakers. (laughs) Now I know some people that's, you know, they go on that journey and they're like, we want to, we want to become winemakers for us. It started simply volunteering at with a local, uh, winemaker and, uh, learning how the process worked and discovering you know how much fun it is to actually make wine and we were involved in racking the wine and then we were involved in bottling the wine and then we got invited to be involved at you know uh, at the the crush and and you know the first step of destemming the wine and all of that and so as we got involved in in each you know step of the process as volunteers at the at the winery we also you know became well acquainted with uh, Scott and Monica, um, who owned uh, Convergence Zone Cellars, where we were volunteering. And then um, our neighbor across the street, um, John Richardson began making wine uh, in partnership with Convergence Zone. And so we uh, volunteered uh, with his project and, and then it was like, hey, Could could we partner with you in this somehow? And so um, it really uh, it really was just, hey, we're going to do one uh, one bottle. And and as you can see on the table, we we haven't stopped. Yeah. (laughs) No,
0: it's awesome. So so let me back. So you you started as a taster. Um, yep. And then you kind of fell in love with probably the regions in California. Mm-hmm. Yep. Saw some of the uh, some regions. wine
1: clubs and, and, you know, decided what we liked. Just yeah. had
0: some cases arriving at the yep. front door and you try it and you drink it or you go to the next tasting room yep. and maybe you overcommitted like I've done in the past to a, another wine club. Um, and the wine shows up, you keep and you just keep searching it out and discover what you like. And then you get sucked in from the um, experience of from grape to bottle yes so you're telling me that you got to one of your first experiences on that was the grapes arriving from Washington State vineyards in those big fancy box crate <laughs> things on a truck yes yep. and they're still on the stems mm-hmm. and you started getting involved in the winemaking process from there is that right
1: so our first experience was after the wine had already been in the barrel and, and working with it on that end of the production. And then, then you went to, and the... then we got invited to be a part of the first step, got which it. is the delivery of the grapes. And I still have uh, man, just, it was so much fun. And, and basically you're using a, you know, a, a pitchfork kind of, you know, uh, instrument to get the grapes out of the crate it's lifted up, you know, at, in our particular case, you know, use forklift, lift the wine up, or lift the grapes up, and and you dump them into the destemmer, and that begins the process then to move toward making the wine. So the the, the <laughs> machines
0: of these always are what I think is where the real uh, excitement sometimes uh, comes in. Somebody and magic. had to yeah yeah invent. First of all, I understand a grape fermenting, and then somebody drank it once, and then the rest is I get that. But now you have these massive boxes full of, you know, literally tons mm-hmm. of grapes, and they have all these stems and probably some all kinds of snacks on them. Mm-hmm. And there's a machine, right, mm-hmm. that crushes. Now tell me about that. What does that machine yeah, do? so so
1: there's there's really a couple step process here. Um, so the destemming process, it gets um, dumped into the machine, which um, basically is like an auger that's moving. The grapes into, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't even know what I call that piece. The contraption where it begins to separate, so we'll, it will allow the the grapes to fall, to fall in
0: the stems stay,
1: and the stems get kicked out. Got so it. So it's a beautiful process because in the end you have, you had one large container with the grapes in them, and in the end you have the grapes separated from the stems and all the stems in another container, you know, for composting.
0: Got it. Got it. And then you got involved in the, the crushing yeah. of the grapes, right?
1: Right. So then, uh, yeah. So from that step, then um, you, there's already beginning some juice, you know, obviously uh, draining out of the grapes as, as they're destemmed. And at that point, um, it's usually about a week before then you press or crush the grapes and get all the juice out and put it into the barrel. So during that week, um you're um initially that, that first day, you're you're adding uh yeast um to to uh feed you <laughs> know feed that fermentation process. Exactly. And, and you add those
0: to the to the whole grapes.
1: You add yeah, you add that wow. to the to the uh to the grapes that have been destemmed.
0: Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. And, and that's and, when the artistry kicks in, probably. Right. soon. So
1: and, and chemistry, right? Yeah, so, both got it. So you have to understand, you know, you're you're measuring at a regular basis uh, different components. You you know the the bricks and and basically um, wanting to watch that you know drop down uh, so that you you know you've completed uh, that fermentation process before then you press and then uh, put it in the barrel.
0: And are you using, like there's a tool that I have um, because I've made beer and cider before, mm-hmm. I think it's called a refractometer, does that sound right, where it measures the bricks? Mm-hmm. And then that ultimately helps determine the uh, alcohol by volume, right? The exactly, ABV. right. Yeah, got it.
1: And pretty much when it goes into the barrel, you have a measurement of what that uh, alcohol by volume is, and you you wanna make sure it's not too high but you also want to make sure it's not too low in terms of what the range is that you would want you know for those wines so you know all of ours have you know a diff- it's all posted on the label that's requirement requirement uh, when you make wine but each one has a you know a different uh, makeup so this one you know is 14.3 this one is 13.5 uh, 14.1 so and those are all you know calculated 13.7 yeah so,
0: we we should stop for a second. You poured me a glass of one of your labels. It's called the Pink House. It's a Tempranillo rosé. Tell tell us about that.
1: Yeah. So this is the the first rosé that we made, and each of uh, each of our labels um, are associated with a different aspect of a house that we've lived in um up to this point and so the pink house happens to be where my daughter lives in san francisco and literally uh she's two blocks from the ocean uh in outer sunset part of san francisco and so the label is a picture of her house and, uh, and this uh, Tempranillo Rosé um, is a celebration of our of our daughter. And if you want, I can read you the yeah, back of yeah, the please label. Yeah, um, So it says, This special Tempranillo Rosé was inspired by our daughter Madeline. She lives in a pink house in the outer sunset of San Francisco. She likes long walks on the beach in the fog. At, and at sunset, when the fog clears and the sun streams through her tiny pink house... She enjoys sipping rosé in the golden light. We hope you can find some golden light with friends to enjoy the pink house rosé notes of golden light, pink, and sounds of the ocean. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah. And Madeline helps us, uh, write all of our, of our labels, uh, content. And this particular, uh, drawing was actually drawn by my niece. Janae Duick, and just this month, June 1st, Janae moved into the Pink House. Oh, so my this gosh. So uh, this is now where she lives with Madeline there in San Francisco.
0: So the theme here is that these, th- this wine is intensely personal family. Absolutely. It is an, a, a, really an extension of kind of who you guys are, it sounds like. Yep. Um, okay, so you have uh, – let's keep going down the, <laughs> the line here. Um, hopefully, we'll be able to try another one while we're chatting. Uh, but the you have another pink house, another rose that what is that a different grape? The right. Talsi- so this
1: is the this is the Movedra rose, and we uh, bottled this the next year. So the first one was a twenty eighteen grape, which was bottled in twenty nineteen, and then this was a twenty nineteen uh, harvest, uh, which then we bottled in uh, twenty twenty and we only did five cases of the of the rosé so limited uh supply um and this one also um relates to uh it's kind of pink house too um 2. but yeah. relates to uh, madeline's house and another another oh, little see. story uh about her and this is a picture the first wine has a picture of the outside of her house the second one is a picture of her kitchen table looking out toward the sunset And uh, Janae drew that one as well. And, you know, because uh, Deanne's business uh, is DeVries Properties and Estates, she's a real estate broker with Windermere, um, all of these wines have taken on um, really an an aspect of, again, just our homes and uh, have been great for gifting uh, to friends, but also to her clients um and have just gives us really great joy so that's that's the pink house too and uh, there the, you go
0: the idea of uh, Deanne being in real estate always and this connection to the house and to homes that you guys have lived in yeah. or your family again intensely personal um, and, and an extension of who you guys are has got to be one of the coolest you
1: know, closing gifts or whatever <laughs> she's
0: using. I know I use uh, closing gifts in my career. And, you know, I I like the guys that make the wine that we sell. Mm-hmm. I think they're great people. I think the wine's good. Um, but th- it's not nearly uh, as cool of a, of a personal story as this is. I can see her her um, clients being super excited to receive anything like yeah. this, I bet.
1: Well, it's kind of uh, fun. Last night, I got a text message from one of our friends who she just helped close escrow on, uh, a month ago. And he said to me, just sitting here enjoying, uh, one of your DeVries Estates wines, you know, thank you so much. And, you know, it's just so fun to feel the joy that he got to experience and the joy that we have, uh, in blessing others.
0: Oh, I love that. Okay. So, um, I do want to cover a couple more things on the label, Sure. because you. Uh, it looks like, for example, in the Tempranillo, it says Snipes Mountain, two thousand eighteen, mm-hmm. and then the Pink House uh, um, Merved, if I'm saying it right, rose, is the Waluk or Waluke slope? Is that right? Correct. So, so is this? What we, we talked about this? Maybe you touched on it before. These AVAs, Washington State mm-hmm. has, I think you told me
1: sixteen avas what what does that mean yeah so the ava is uh the american viticultural area and there are certain um characteristics related to specific areas where Uh, Grapes are grown in in actually grapes are grown in every state of the United States, but particularly the Washington grapes and the and the uh, California grapes um, account for the greatest quantity of grapes grown in the U.S. And so you
0: said every state can grow grapes. That's true. Yes.
1: Now, it doesn't mean they make great wine. Oh, I see. I, 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 again, so I, South, I, the South Dakota grape. Yes, we... yes, I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> I've been told that That's every right. state grows grapes. So, um, but each of these AVAs have some specific uh, characteristics, and so this one uh, comes from yeah the Waluke Slope, and that is uh, a specific uh, AVA. Uh, it's uh,
0: there you go that's awesome along the columbia river yeah so because these slopes and these sort of sub almost probably microclimates probably too Mm -hmm. based on the sun uh the dirt probably access to water and of course we know that most of our great growing region is near uh the columbia river at some level right Mm -hmm. um and uh what is that let me let me ask you this what is one of the faster growing we've heard of horse heaven we've heard of um uh Red Mountain, Mm -hmm. and I think you said one of your bottles comes from Red Mountain. Is that right, that Red Mountain AVA? Mm -hmm. Those are some of the larger ones that a lot of the big winemakers are coming from. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, so actually um, Red Mountain is a smaller AVA in terms of geography, but it has a very high concentration of well-known uh winemakers and Uh, so part of the reason that you're familiar with red mountain is because of the success of making great wine from that specific region got it
0: now growing up in washington i grew up in eastern washington but i've lived on either side of the state my entire life Um, i've driven back and forth across the state hundreds of times okay um is it true that they're tearing out old apple and peach orchards and now planting grapes, or they just found other places to plant grapes that maybe were wheat? I mean, what tell me about the sort of transition over the last, what, 20, 30 years to make Washington a premier grape growing part of the world. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, pretty amazing what has transpired in the last... Say from 35 years ago, and then you know, if you take from 85 till about the year 2000, um, gradual growth, and then from the year 2000 now to 2021, um, pretty rapid accelerated growth in the number of um, vineyards and the number of of winemakers over a thousand. Um, different uh, winemakers in the state of Washington now, wow. and and one of the factors that has limited that growth has to do with water rights. So a solution is to buy an existing uh, farm, and you can then you know convert. Uh, let's say it was an alfalfa farm, and you can you know if it has water rights, then you could um, choose to plant. Um, uh, grapes and grow your vineyard and then produce there. But the, one of the limiting factors is, is being able to get water or to have the rights to water. Is
0: it fair to say that uh, when a, a vineyard has replaced another crop that has been probably vital to some family or uh, even to our state's economy, that is, is this good for our state because we're now known as this national, international spot to, to, that produces great wine? Is that a, Are we doing the right thing <laughs> not trying to get yeah. political I yeah and,
1: and again i i don't know if it's uh, <clears throat> directly a right and a wrong issue right now in my head i think it's more um recognizing what uh economy works on supply and demand and um and seeing you know these these uh um, farms or you know uh change uh, the crops. I think this has happened, you know, for uh, for a long time. Not just with grapes, where you know they choose to um, say, "Hey, this this um, harvest is going to be um, more necessary or more profitable," um, and so you know there are changes that take place. Um, I'm not going to miss the alfalfa. That turn to grapes, but maybe I'll miss some of the other things, you know. Well, me, yeah. Dave, now as a <laughs> cattle owner, um,
0: they don't allow me to call myself a cattle rancher yet. Yeah. Um, but with cows, they love alfalfa, yes. so I'm hoping that I don't have to go very far <laughs> to go get it. Uh, no, I yeah. was. I'm. I say all, all this because I'm. I'm fascinated by sort of the state, mm-hmm. our state, and uh, and how uh, we have this beautiful farm country. Uh, that has historically produced really great things, from wheat, um, to all kinds of other grains, fruit, clearly, and now grapes. And grapes, grapes seem to be king right now.
1: Yeah, well, I, I don't know yet that g- grapes and wine production has overtaken the popularity of Washington apples or Washington cherries. I don't know, but I do know that we are known for quite. Uh, quite a variety of of harvesting that we that we have so
0: i love it um i'm gonna ask one more question about the um uh the sort of appellation concept um why eastern washington why are we growing grapes the way that are putting out these world-class wines when um is it is it the dirt is it the you know goes back to the ice age lake what do they call that the montana glacier or or lake missoula whatever you know we're talking about thousands of years of ice and dirt moving around that created this fantastic soil that just happens to be perfect to grow grapes or is it simply latitude latitude, uh, type conversation and you look across halfway across the planet and you see the other great wine, uh, great excuse me, great producing regions mm-hmm. of the world—Spain, France, and so forth—happen to line up fairly closely to where we're at. Yeah. Or is it all the above, and then some?
1: Yeah. So I do think there's something to the soil. There's something you know related to also why there's no grapes being grown on the western side of our state, and it's you know on the eastern uh, region, and and largely because of the sun. You know the sun is is a huge factor uh, in producing uh, the quality of the the grapes and the wine you know that that is made. Um, so that's a a large reason why the combination, you know, of the of the sunshine of the amount of uh, so we, you know on the western side of the state here we get a lot more rain uh on the eastern side of the state you know they they get less rain and there's something about the the um the roots of the vine having to work harder um to uh to get through the soil and and the certain rockiness of the soil um and i'm sure you've walked through some of the vineyards there and and seeing you know this is not um, this is not easy soil. This is hard soil, and and the the work of the uh, of that vine uh, roots to get through there um, ultimately produces better grapes,
0: better wine. When the vine yeah. when the vine has to work harder, it's it forces life by reaching down mm. to grab onto the nutrients. Right, it pushes the life back through the uh, the the vine mm-hmm. and then out ultimately out to the grapes. Yes. Is that essentially, yeah. And then, of course, the sun, it it grabs onto that sunshine. Yeah. And there's got to be something to be said, and sorry, um, with the fact that, you know, Eastern Washington tends to have, you know, closer to the four seasons, too. There must be some of that work aspect mm -hmm. that you're referring to that uh, grapes probably need some time to kind of settle down for uh, a few months to come back strong. But I'm guessing.
1: Yeah. Well, and, and you think about why are the majority of these really great avas along the columbia river and what does that factor you know play into having to reach for the water rather than the rain falling and and the you know a more shallow um uh, acquisition if you will um of the water so that i think that is a factor it's got to be yeah
0: some of our most fertile um farmland in western Washington is is a valley is the Snoqualmie Snohomish Valley Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, that's because there probably was some big rock that floated down you know from from the mountain range or something at one point and left this beautiful dirt there but it's more difficult like where I live where we live I mean we had the King Conservation District guy come out and he said you only go down about 18 inches and you're hitting glacial rock hmm. so most of our area has this rock where the roots cannot go down mm-hmm. and then almost on cue one of our trees that we were going to cut down with a not even a significant windstorm but significant enough smashed to the ground wow. why because it couldn't get down far enough to build the strong roots so that yeah. makes a lot of sense yeah We've and, got a little um, geology
1: conversation yeah, going on. there you back. go. So I'm, I'm curious for you, having grown up in the state of Washington and being familiar with Washington varietals, um, do you know which wines are most, let's say red, just to give you a, a, an advantage to think about what you love, um, which varietals are most popularly grown and bottled in our, in our state? Is this a trivia question? Or are yeah, you putting it's me on pretty the much spot? I'm oh, putting you on the gosh, spot. Yeah. I, if you don't know, we... No, uh, I, I, uh,
0: <laughs> why don't you pour some more of that wine and I'll think about <laughs> it. Uh, yeah. Um, well,
1: while you're thinking here, I'll just tell yeah, tell please. you what we're pouring. So this is the Albans Tempranillo. And this one is named after my son's... House that he lives in in uh, Houston, Texas. Oh, that's fantastic! And he lives on Albans Road, and so uh, this Tempranillo uh, is named for is named for his house, and this is grown uh, by the Upland Vineyard on Snipes Mountain, and these were harvested in 2018.
0: Fantastic. So they're not allowed to move. Is that correct? Your kids—they have to not stay in these homes. No.
1: Actually, I think they—they'd they'd love to move and uh, have us create another wine yeah, uh, with with their uh, house on it, and then they can claim, "Well, Dad, that's that's ours too." You know. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: They're trying to get in line with the inheritance. Well, that's my home. Yep. Uh, so, I get to have whatever's left. No, I love yeah. that. Um, to answer your question, my trivia. Wait,
1: yeah, what do you want? You want to pick the top one, top three? You know, then maybe you have a little more uh, latitude.
0: Do I get points for any of them landing in the top three? <laughs> um, I want to say that, um, but I, I might sound ignorant too, that um, the Syrah grape is in the top three. And the reason I think that is because. I'm almost positive that the Syrah comes from a, for lack of a better phrase, a grape fusion. That there's two grapes involved in making the Syrah, hmm. but it's not a blend. Am I right or wrong on that? You know
1: what? I actually don't know the history of of the making of the Syrah, but you are right that it is in the top three. In the top three, but not yeah. number one. Yeah.
0: Um, oh. See, so I always forget when they're like the Cabernet Sauvignon. Like, I don't mm-hmm. know if that's also the name of a grape
1: or not. Yes, it is. Okay, yep. then it's got to be number one. Yes, it is. Yeah, yeah. Good job. Okay,
0: and then what am I missing here? Um, boy, we do a so fair... the
1: one that you're you're missing actually is not represented on the table. It's the Chardonnay. It's, it well, that's great. So Chardonnay would be the number one white grape that we produce. Yes, in the state of Washington.
0: But it's not called a Chardonnay grape. Yes, is that correct?
1: Yeah, it is. Oh, it yeah. is called a Chardonnay. Yeah. Grape. Okay. So, but that's a white wine, got a Chardonnay. It, yeah. yeah. So they drink the red, a lot of in California. Yes. Yeah, they do. Yeah. And here, um, it's the yeah the number one uh, produced white grape in the state of Washington. The the number one red grape, like you said, is the Cab. The number two we actually have in in uh, barrel right now, and that will be our next bottling next spring, hopefully. And that's the Merlot. The
0: Merlot. Mm-hmm. Nice. So yeah. I got. Two out of the three reds, but I got t- I did catch the white. Okay, good. I just want to make sure that's on <laughs> record. You. you guys hear yeah. that? Yeah, no, we I'm can too- move on to your questions. Just I just no. thought it was my turn. No, to, that's you good. That's to, good to, to well, test you. It's actually a good transition because I actually wanted to talk about one of your new, new wish. I think um, blends right because you've been doing some solo grapes uh, yep. primarily. Yeah, but you have this Devries Estate's uh, Horse Heaven 2016 blend 95 cabsov 3% M- uh, M- merved Merv- Merv- and 2% malbec okay mm-hmm. tell me about blending why how do you know yeah that you're doing yeah. it right you know what i mean yeah
1: well there's a, there's a couple factors that that uh, come into the the blending and a lot of it is is uh based on taste um, in terms of what the, the winemaker is looking for uh, in, in that particular varietal and, and what it's going to taste like. So sometimes they will intentionally start with, we are going to create a blend. And um, you might buy these at the store and it, all it says on it is red blend or red wine. It doesn't actually um, have a high enough percentage of any one varietal uh, to be labeled with that specific uh, name of that grape. Um, so like a, a, a GSM blend would be a Grenache, a Syrah, and a Movedra. Now, there are other times where um, they use a, uh, a topping wine. So wine in the barrel actually evaporates so you i mean you're familiar with this uh, also from it, bourbon and they call you know, it the angel's share the angel's share, <laughs> exactly right and so it also happens with wine not nearly uh as much uh is evaporated off however um, if you are um, choosing to um, uh, top that off you can um, top the barrel back off with the same varietal um, that you have or or another um, varietal. So in this case, um, this barrel was topped off um, with some Ovedra and also uh, with, I believe it was the Syrah, correct? You said the uh, Malbec. Oh, sorry, Malbec. with the Malbec. Yeah. 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 So um, so that creates a blend um, uh, and then the winemaker decides, okay, do I need to add anything else or is this, our, you know, how does this blend taste? And so um, this one is is uh, is mostly Cab Sauv uh, at ninety five percent. You'll see other blends that you know might be you know forty six percent this and thirty percent that and you know twenty four percent of another one. Um, and that's more because of the intentional result that the the winemaker was after.
0: That's uh, really interesting. I always wondered where and why that happened uh, because I know blending uh, happens in other things, right? So mm-hmm. the the coffee world mm-hmm. right There's been a big movement for 10 15 years to do these single origin you know small micro batchy mm-hmm. you know this farmer's name is so and so and you know he or she planted you know all this and it's cool it's a mm-hmm. cool story the connection is fantastic um, it, it, but there's always some debate that is it really the best cup of coffee because mm-hmm. you're only tasting those notes that come from that bean whereas you blend it to make it mm-hmm. taste maybe better with mm-hmm. steamed milk, or you know, right? And, and then, so you're uh, you're you're developing a different taste pattern right. based on the single origin grape, right? Single grape versus a blend. Is that am I on the right track there? Or
1: no. Yes, and I would say you're also considering that there are certain wines that taste better with certain foods. Mm. So, for example, right now, if you you know were to enjoy you know some of the prosciutto or the um, uh, the cheese or the cracker and then taste the wine your experience you know even here at the table is going to be different with that wine in your mouth than just an uh, no food having entered your mouth and so when when you are pairing the wine with specific foods there's also this wonderful experience whether it's with a steak or whether it's with you know your favorite pork loin or whether it's you know ribs or or Salmon, you know, you're you're choosing a wine that pairs well. And and part of that blending creates, you know, an experience that says, well, this blend of these grapes together might pair better with this particular meal. Um, and so that also uh, the food that you're enjoying with with your wine impacts the ch- the choice of wine that you'll have.
0: So so you just so depending. <laughs> no, I love it. So you decide what you're going to have to eat, you know, whatever the main course is, and you design your wine based around what maybe the main dish is or the combination Mm -hmm. and things like that.
1: Right. Uh, And a lot of times people, you know, when they're enjoying the wonderful seafood that we have here in the Northwest, would say, well, I'd rather pair that with a white uh, wine than with, you know, a red wine. Or, you know, maybe if I'm having uh, a delicious, you know, steak, I might want a bolder, tasting wine like a um like a malbec or a or a cab sauv whereas if i'm having um maybe a different cut or a different you know preparation of the meal i might i might choose you know with a pasta um and and you know amazing sausage you know flavoring i might i might choose a different wine instead i you know i want a pinot noir with this because of of how it it pairs
0: yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. I, um, I, you know, there's always that default. And tell me if this is a fair statement: that if if you don't know anything, red goes with red meat, right? White goes with white meat. Yes. Um, and then your Pinot Noir. I always heard that um, uh, that Pinot Noir, which is really popular in Oregon, right? There's yes. a lot of great Pinot mm-hmm. that comes out of there. Um, you know, an aside: if I say Pinot, are we always assuming it's Noir, not Pinot Grigio? What's the default? I was like, oh, I'm drinking Pinot tonight. Do you yeah. have to drill down on that?
1: Well, I, again, I cook if with I, Grigio. If I, from, if I knew what food you were eating, I might then you could then make better. the <laughs> okay. assumption that, you know, it's not a Pinot Grigio, it's a Pinot Noir. But um, I usually um, assume it's it's the red. It's the red. Yeah. Mm-hmm. OK, I
0: wondered. Um, but Thanksgiving, what mm. do you serve at Thanksgiving dinner that's going to please the most guests and I remember somebody like, I don't know, Chef Tom Douglas or somebody mm-hmm. like that said, when in, you know, when in doubt at the Thanksgiving dinner, serve Pinot Noir mm. because it plays well enough with yeah. the turkey, the typical, right? Mm-hmm. You know, the stuffing that might have sausage mm-hmm. in it, mm-hmm. you, know, the, you, know, you know, your aunt's yams or, you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I thought that was an interesting take because yeah. it's, it's, it's a fairly robust yeah. red.
1: Yeah, it is. Right, I mean, it, it's
0: got some. There's some substance yeah. to a noir.
1: Yeah. it, it However, it, it I would say com- comparatively, you know, to the 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 more bold wines, it it doesn't come across to me as bold, you know. So you again, know, uh, yeah,
0: it's even, but it's it still has. I feel mm-hmm. like there's. Depth to it. Yes, I guess uh, maybe that's what yes, it's going
1: for. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Now, you might be uh, entertained to hear me share that for about five years, Deanne and I were pescatarians, which meant after our vegetarian phase, then we added Wait, fish. Okay. And so, um, yeah, so we did not eat red meat for a season for of about five years. And during that season, um, we moved here to the Northwest. And so for Thanksgiving, our... F- our tradition became salmon so we do which is not a bad we way do to what have we would consider day. we can, we consider <laughs> it a northwest thanksgiving <laughs> and we still do salmon to, it's our it, it, our preference over turkey is a delicious salmon
0: and i feel like i've made a turkey a thousand different ways and almost all the time it turns out pretty good but i would take salmon over turkey
1: yeah i love yeah. salmon if and you, so what
0: what what wine would you be drinking with that
1: salmon yeah. So, um, oh man, I, I think there's a whole lot of, of varieties that you can put with salmon. I, you know, I definitely, uh, love, you know, a Chardonnay, uh, with the salmon, but I think, I think our cab is actually pretty delicious with salmon as well. Well, so that's our tree house. I yep. love
0: that's the, okay. Which we probably won't get to, but this, <laughs> this Tempranillo, um, yeah. is fantastic. Well, thank Albans. you. Is
1: that how you say it? Yeah. Yep. The Albans. Really, Tempranillo. Really, really good.
0: Yeah. Um, before we jump off of all of uh, the, I want to wrap up something about the blending. Yeah. Um, so that's by design up front, typically because a winemaker is going to know, probably based on that year's vintage and so mm-hmm. forth, they probably sketch out some tasting notes of what he or she expects to get. Is that fair to yeah. say?
1: Correct. And, and, uh, and then there's there's always the experiment, mm. uh, experimenting with the wine to say, I wonder what would happen if, you know, we we added this or we blended these two together or, you know, this has this, you know, as we're tasting the different things. I'm, I'm not the winemaker as the winemakers tasting the different um, wines that he has in barrel. There's there's something of this now art piece where he says if I put this together with this, or she says you know I oh I I, I once had this you know flavor in my mind, and then and then bringing them together, um, and then that's where the magic happens, and you go this is so much better together than it would have been the single individual grade deal. Mm-hmm. Got it, got, got it. it. <laughs> I, I know we. I mean, there, look,
0: people people can you know get these create. Crazy uh, certifications about wine, right? The the level one, two, and I think three, sommelier, right? Correct. So, um, and so I don't want to go too too far off the rails, but if you can touch on sort of the the, the dry, like how would you know? I mean, I know how it, what a dry wine tastes like, but could a, a winemaker design it from scratch, knowing that this is going to come out dry? Mm-hmm. Based on the grape, maybe the AVA, maybe the blending—is that a thing or?
1: Yeah, so I think there's there's something to the history of what that particular AVA is producing, or what even that vineyard. So um, you might say, well, you know the the wines on one side of the road, you know, where uh, Kiona and Fidelitas are, you know, on uh, in Red Mountain are distinct in this way from, you know, from Hedges or San Michel or, you know, some of the other uh, vineyards on the other side of the road uh, within that same AVA, you know, so you can have distinction even, you know, next door from one vineyard to the other. But I think um, I think when it comes to the actual winemaking, which is that science and art you know, coming together, um, even what yeast you choose um, to add it at the beginning of the wine, how you, how you choose to filter or not filter the wine is going to impact even um, both the texture and the taste. Um, You know, I have one friend who he really wants that that wine uh, after he finishes to have a long have a long finish. And if it doesn't have a long finish, he's like, well, this isn't a good wine. Well, every wine doesn't have a long finish. So you know, is he discounting every wine that doesn't finish well is not good? Well, he might, but that doesn't mean it wasn't a good wine. You know what yeah, I'm totally, saying? Totally. Or, Or some people, they like that feeling of of, of a wine that's chewy, you know, or I, I feel it on my teeth, you know, and other people are like, oh, I don't like feeling this on my teeth. So there is there is certain amount of subjectivity totally. uh, to all of this. And the the winemaker is, is really going after... You know a specific result uh in answer to your question but but there's an you know artistic flavor uh to that as well
0: there there can't be more of a combination equal parts artistry and science than probably making wine and it's, it's probably it's pretty amazing and it's, it is what, it's the, the oldest alcoholic beverage <laughs> that's existed in humanity right it goes back to i remember Uh, I was on a trip to Cyprus, and I'm actually talking to a uh, a friend of ours that um, um, is working in Cyprus doing mission work, Um, and they uh, made a barrel of uh, Comandaria. I don't know if you know that wine, Mm -hmm. but it's supposedly one of the most ancient grapes that still grows on the island of Cyprus. And, you know, the Knights Templar involved. I mean, it's a very Mm -hmm. cool story. But um, it was the closest thing you could compare it to is... and this is probably going to get some people upset but uh is a port it's mm. that sweet mm-hmm. syrupy like usually post-dinner mm-hmm. wine but back mm-hmm. in the old days it was mm-hmm. you just drank it right? yeah. yeah and we're talking about ancient culture right has been making wine more longer probably than beer mm-hmm. and certainly longer than whiskey mm-hmm. so um anyway it's yeah. it's a beautiful thing yeah. um before I jump into something uh, a little bit more fun as we wrap up, I wanted to just touch on um, a couple of more things about the wine uh, part of it, um, and you guys in particular. Uh, you you gave me a quick tour of your wine cellar. Um, there's some fantastic wine that's going to be aging, right, and stuff. The reds age mm-hmm. typically, right? right. Um, so so what is next for De Vries Estates? Are we going to keep doing this? Is this something that is – Is it a hobby? Is it, I mean, are you going to be on the label of Total Wine someday? I mean, when? I mean, on the shelf?
1: Yeah. So, up to this point, we have not um, been in the sale of wine business. Um, So, we gift wine and we drink wine and we barter. Uh, So, I want to keep that in mind, right? But um, up to this point, uh, we haven't decided to go in. There's a whole nother. step uh that we would need to go through in terms of getting uh like the proper or. licensing uh to do that we could my daughter is very keen on the idea that she would be able to uh sell and market our wine uh down in california um and uh several of these wines uh have uh won awards so really it's, uh yeah it's kind you of you have to tell me about that fun. Um, well, I can, I can do that uh, as well uh, in a moment because I'll have to get the list to, to enlighten you. But, but I think uh, for us, um, we're still in it at this phase for the joy uh, of the wine. And um, every now and then, you know, we, we're like, are we done? Are we going to keep going uh, right now? Uh, we have uh, a barrel of Merlot that we'll be bottling, like I mentioned, next year. And we're in conversations with John, our neighbor, who we partner with on the winemaking. And considering, you know, are we, uh, we going to do a Malbec uh, in the fall? or Are we going to do a Pinot Noir? So I think uh, either one of those would be a win. Um, and then we'll, we'll have to decide what comes next, but you
0: don't currently have a Pinot Noir, is that correct? Yeah, we don't. So that's my vote. You vote for the if Pinot Noir. If it matters, is yeah. the Noir. So, because yeah. I, it, I love it. Yes. And I love it all year round. Yeah. Um, Malbec is actually mm-hmm. my second favorite. Uh, is my third. Okay. So and, you know, as you far go. as the reds go, if, yeah. I was, if I was to pick.
1: And I think this Mavedra might surprise you. Ooh, yeah, I don't know if that. we're going to open don't... that one next or what we're going to do. And I like don't know if
0: I've ever tried it, so yeah. it would be fun to know yeah. about it. But for the sake of time and uh, being able to get home. Um, grab the, yeah, I'm going to taste the wine while you do that. <laughs> <laughs> so you've won some awards. Yes, yeah, so... Um, And how do you, while you're looking that up, maybe mm -hmm. you can fill in the gap here. Like how would, how do you even find out how to enter wine into a, I don't know, is it a competition? Like Mm -hmm. is it some website and email shows up and says, hey, I hear you make wine. Will you enter in your bottle or do you search it? Like, yes, there are different
1: wine festivals that happen where they, uh, the wine is, is entered into a judging uh, by a panel and then awards are. Uh, given. So two years ago, we had the opportunity uh, pre COVID to go over to the Tri Cities uh, Wine Festival. It happens there at the Convention Center, and you can enter your wine into the competition, and they will uh, give awards based on um, how they judge the quality uh, of your wine. So um, Scott Greenberg, who owns Convergence zone cellars and is the the winemaker he uh has been making wine for over a decade and has entered his wine in many of these uh festivals and then john richardson who we partner with uh troy and john in our winemaking uh has begun to enter his wine uh under their label fly rod sellers yeah. and uh and so for example um the uh, the treehouse wine, which is the the 2016 uh, Cab Sav, um, it uh, it was awarded a double gold medal, uh, and the Wine Press uh, Northwest Platinum Awards gave it a platinum medal. So. Um, it has been, so it is a wow. award winning wine. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, that's uh, awesome. and got a score of 93 points. So, oh you know, my that's gosh. kind of, kind of exciting. Um, yeah, the double gold was from Savor Northwest. So from, from, uh, from them and then, uh, yeah. So the, uh, the Albans Tempranillo uh, just in May at the Washington State Wine Awards, uh, received a silver medal. So, um, there you go. This
0: is fantastic. That's so pretty I just exciting.
1: Drank award-winning wine. You are drinking award-winning wine. Wow. Yes, you are.
0: That's awesome. So you don't know what's next on the horizon for the label. It's for now. It's gifts, barter, family, friends, um, children. And children. Oh, let
1: me let me throw in another aspect of this. So part yeah. of my motivation. To want to join in in having our own label was wanting to serve our own wine at my kids weddings oh my gosh I just thought that would be so fun yes so I am trying to uh, hold on to at least a case of each wine uh, for uh, for our kids wedding uh, whenever that might come, they
0: better get going. Otherwise, the wine No, I'm kidding. Yeah. Well,
1: they know that I, I can't keep it forever. And, yeah. you know, and wine does have a shelf life. So, uh, yeah. I love so that's, that. That's, I, that would be the last category I'd say. And hopefully, uh, we'd have a little for the win. Well, there's some legacy there.
0: I mean, yeah. even last night, we did a uh, uh, one of my favorite meals is a, I call it the steakhouse salad, right? So mm-hmm. uh, it was greens from our garden and beef from one of our cattle. Right. Chives in the dressing was Mm -hmm. that we grew, you know, so it was about probably 80 percent something Mm -hmm. that we grew, raised and Mm -hmm. and, you know, took care of, as it were. And it was it was just a beautiful thing to be able to, you know, eat something that we, you know. Cared for, whatever you want to call it. So, yeah. uh, in the same Nourished, vein,
1: tender, yeah, you know, tended the whole the whole process. See, I yeah. would
0: imagine the the wine yeah. would be an expression in yeah. a similar
1: way. This is yeah. our wine, friends. It is, and yeah. and and the cool thing is we enjoy every one we've made in 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 its uniqueness and and flavor, and uh, and then so to be able to share, you know, something you've created, something you've uh, you've made you know it, it just it it multiplies the joy i
0: love it i love it yeah. well for the sake of time i want to ask you some fun things to oh, get sure. to know okay the doc dr dave okay um when scrolling through your cable tv lineup and maybe you guys don't do tv if you didn't do red meat for a while maybe <laughs> that's a thing No, you're you're uh, the a movie lands and you always stop to watch mm-hmm. at least a few minutes of it, no matter what point of the movie it is. What's one of those movies for you?
1: Yeah, so you'll laugh, um, but it's uh, one of them is probably You've Got Mail. Ha, <laughs> I love that movie.
0: I tried to show that to one of our kids once, and they were puzzled yep. because they didn't understand how the email thing... Exactly. Was, it was so revolutionary, right? Yep. When it came
1: out. <laughs> You've Got Mail. Yeah. Ding. yeah, yeah. yeah. So, That's a good one. Yeah, that's a really classic, I think. I, like. I think the another one that, you know, it, I just would always stop on it would be Braveheart oh sure yeah
0: yeah oh I love that <laughs> um, I usually ask what is the last book you read but we're in the summertime so what's on the summer reading docket for Dr. Dave I imagine you're a pretty prolific reader
1: you know what I I do love reading and the funny thing is I uh, I start a lot of books and I don't always make, make it to the end so I'm in the middle of a book that I hope to finish uh, and it's Uh, By a guy named Donald Miller, and it's called Business Made Simple. Hmm. And uh, it's 60 readings uh, that are kind of laid out to, you know, you could read this in 60 days, and it really focuses on the essence of building a successful business. And so I'm having a lot of fun reading reading that one. Donald Miller. Donald Miller.
0: All right, I like that. And who is one of your favorite podcasters or authors or just in general? Who? Who's somebody that you come back to time and time again, pretty consistently?
1: Yeah. So, right now, I think um, podcast-wise, you'll you'll kind of smile at this one. I think I've been listening to the Brian Buffini podcast for quite a while, and Fantastic. I love, obviously. Um, Having discovered through ancestry DNA that I am Irish uh, in my in my roots uh, in my ancestry, uh, have that wonderful connection with Brian and, and his accent and but really I think what I love about his podcast um, is just how positive and how um, how focused he is on owning your own development, you know, and becoming the best version of yourself and uh i just yeah i really enjoy oh that's awesome his you, podcast. <laughs>
0: you could probably pick up the where i got these questions because i listen to it all the time yeah. and it's one of my favorite parts because he interviews you know these really significant people that have done all these great things mm-hmm. we've all heard of pretty much mm-hmm. everybody i mean neil
1: armstrong for gosh sakes oh, you know that was that was an amazing unbelievable. amazing story yeah
0: but then he asked these fun questions and so mm-hmm. i did yank that from him you probably picked up on it i've tweaked a couple of them um what is one of the favorite one of your favorite quotes or words to live by that you uh, draw inspiration from?
1: Yeah, you know, can I give you two? Is of course, that, is that fine? So I remember uh, one quote uh, that I think my dad dad shared with me um, when I was, uh, I think, graduating from elementary school. So right around sixth, seventh grade, somewhere somewhere in that in that phase, and my my dad died when I was in high school. So the things he said, you know. Uh, have have stayed with me. Um, and I don't think this was original to him, but I really I can hear it in his voice every time uh, I think of this quote and he says uh, said to me who you are is God's gift to you. What you make of yourself is your gift to God. Oh my gosh. And I thought that was pretty pretty solid. That's
0: really solid. <laughs> that needs to be Put on the the wall yeah. and everything that's fantastic yeah. yeah there's another one you said too
1: so um yeah so the the other one that that i think um has hit me within the last couple of years which is kind of along those same vines but is just simply the the phrase you need to know yourself to lead yourself mm-hmm. and just the value of self-awareness um combined with self-leadership i think is so critical and i i run into Uh, As you can imagine, many leaders and many individuals that lack a a certain level of self-awareness, which makes it very difficult for them to take the steps they need to to reach the goals and the destination uh, that I think they could attain. And so uh, I love coming alongside leaders and helping them to to increase uh, their self-awareness so that they can lead themselves, lead their family, and lead the organization or or group or department uh, that they're a part of.
0: I love that. Wow, that's really good. I imagine coming out of the pandemic stuff, if if we really are, which I hope we are, and I believe that we are, um, that people probably are going to have a little bit of a challenge kind of integrating back into, and maybe they've discovered some things about themselves during the pandemic that either they like or don't like. Um, and we'll see how they transition you know sort of out of that i feel like people are on sort of code red still a little bit or at least orange level so there's a little bit of stuff that gets angsty really fast uh when you're engaging back with the public Mm -hmm. um so knowing yourself and working on yourself and leading yourself i think is going to be even more timely as we hopefully get back to Whatever the new normal is, because I don't think we're going backwards, we're going into something different. And yeah, I don't is know that, what that means.
1: Isn't that fascinating? Because I think there is a percentage of our population that is just longing to get back to where we were. Mm. And I've been saying for months we're not going back. So so part of what I want to figure out is how how do I lead? How do I how do I um, connect? How do I you know how do I influence and inspire and challenge others in the in the year twenty twenty one, and and not try to get back to twenty twenty.
0: Let's let's move forward. Let's move forward. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. That's really good. Doc Dave, this has been awesome. Where can people get more information about your business and
1: your wine label? <laughs> So, for the wine label, you can go and see some pictures of our wine production and activity at devriesestates.com. And while you're there, you could certainly link to the rest of DN's business uh, with devries properties. Um, and then for me personally, um, you can connect with me at missionalchallenge.com. And uh, yeah, I would love for, for anyone to connect if you'd like to work with a coach. Um, I'd love to offer you a complimentary session. Uh, You can head to missionalchallenge.com slash coaching. And whether you're leading a business, whether you're leading a nonprofit, uh, or whether you just want someone to walk alongside you with the challenges of coming out of COVID, um, I'd love to help or have one of my team uh, consider helping.
0: I love that. So just to be clear, you don't limit your coaching work to Uh, religious organizations, you work with individual people Mm -hmm. on even their own life.
1: Yes. Fantastic. Yeah, and one of the things I've found even in in leadership coaching is that it only takes about three sessions till we're creeping into work-life balance (laughs) and other issues that um, that if you could have a greater sense of clarity, um, you would be more effective at everything you do. And part of what I have having worked for a long time and worked with a coach, I have, an, I think, a very keen uh, sense of internal clarity. I wake up every morning um, with the clarity I need to pursue the results that I want. And I want that for every leader. And so um, I'd love to, to work with anyone, whether uh, you're in a, in a ministry context, a church context, a nonprofit context, a business context, government context. I've done uh, quite extensive work uh, with the Office of Personnel Management uh, for the US government and trained uh, across the country uh, in leadership and how to be uh, the extraordinary leader uh, that you wanna be. So um, yeah. That's awesome. I've had quite a journey. (laughs) No
0: kidding. We'll we'll have to capture more of that journey on, on another time. Uh, But this has been great. Um, One of my favorite uh, things that you've shared with me, which of many, uh, was you wrote a piece on who really was St. Patrick. And every year I've read it since I've learned about it. I've shared it right on my blog uh, and stuff. And a lot of people have actually responded uh, back to that because it was one of those, I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. So you're a great writer, great researcher. And I can imagine you're a great coach. And we know for sure you're a great husband and father. And apparently a really good wine maker